We're here Monday morning, Smino, Wild Irish Roses. It ain't no backwoods on this side of town on the ride. We need to get some more. Pick a couple of wild Irish roses. You look at mm-mm-mm, delectable. Made arrangements for that at the bow. Double pup is cool, your friend can We're a little relaxed this morning. This is off the album Black Swan, released all the way back in 2017. Been about a good six, seven years maybe. Lashadi got me standing at attention. With that door, that's the two-day bench press repetition. Equinox, boost I mean equinox, easy F, baby in the F is for finito. Triangles down the circle, my dick a chico. I stick for the joy she's saying it's sweet, calling me chico. I dig in the earth deep and she quaking. I'm from Jupiter, baby, get with the alien, crazy. Popular sum, I'm seeing 3D. We saw Nefertiti, you won't believe me Post it up like a lamb, come rub on the genie I know you wish for forever, ever you see me My stone's rolling, but fuck it, you rockin' with me Yeah, you rockin' with me Something about your little combo, you do something for me And I ain't cold with you, I'm treat you a cute motherfucker It ain't no backwards on this side of town On the ride with me to get some more Pick a couple of wild Irish roses and on to the next one. We gotta turn up the energy a bit before the episode starts, right? Denzel Curry, Black Balloons. Plain note, my words are Navy SEAL, so here and I quote. Taboo and I are in the same boat. Was said from Pennywise, I guess we all float. Sky is the limit, I could die in a minute. Got my mind in a skillet, suicide, not a mission. See the vibe, very timid, I'm timid and very sad. Translating my thoughts and feelings, I've admitted to the pad. Rapers turn to landscapers when they use hoes. Holes turn to housewives when they see gold. Ice cube would activate her when I'm aggravated or decapitated. When I lose my head, since life is overrated. 2,000 feet. A thousand steps, I let it all sink to a thousand depths. Soon black balloons pop, let it be the day the pain stops.
one prevails, huh? We gotta go and figure it out. I tried to tell you that this life isn't it, and I just wanna be the rightest I can be. Show my son the thing so he can fly, yes, I can be. Always show examples how they kill niggas like me. Thinking the straight is me, but gonna make crazy. Sound is my attitude, so I'm cool like Jay-Z. Underlay, underplay my intelligence for threes. Cancel me like I ain't the king of DC. Cancel me like I ain't the number one G. Cancel me like you don't like dance on me. Quickly they forget how you change on all these lights. You flash on all these lights and you saving these kids' life and they hate you cause you're right. Give me hell, then she take it, turn the fire in the pitchfork, bitch. Alright, alright, black balloons, Denzel Curry, Gold Link. Off the Taboo album dropped in 2018. And with that, let's get started. Vivid Nectar Podcast episode. 274, Alexander Roman here, the one and only, the eighth wonder of the world, the ruler's back. I appreciate y'all for stopping by this morning. Today's topics are going to be ranging from Kendrick Lamar doing phenomenal numbers in the Big Steppers tour, millions. From there, we're going to be talking about the Weekend and Futures double fantasy track that dropped. Uh, it's been about a week, I believe. From there, we're going to be talking about Gilly, Wallow, Charlemagne, and Envy discussing ghost writing in the hip-hop industry, some of the positives, some of the negatives. And I'm going to add in my two cents as far as what happens when ghost writing isn't, when it isn't, I would say, used to, to its best advantage, how it's looked down upon for rappers. And, you know, to a certain degree, you know, rappers like to claim they write everything. And at times, knowing that a rapper writes everything is important. Is part of their character. So we're going to dabble into that as well. From there, we're going to be talking about Jim Jones, Pusha T. It's been a bit, but it's still been bothering me because I feel, I believe people haven't been going as hard for Pusha T as they should have. There's a lot of hip hop platforms out here. A lot of hip hop platforms with a lot of old heads, a lot of OGs. I'm not, I'm not trying to put them down, but it, they, there should be no world where Jim Jones should be getting away with saying Pusha T is in a top 50 rapper. Not, not top five, not top 10, top 50. From there, I ran into this reel that, of course, is um, red, in the red pill manosphere. And it's talking about how guys have to work a lot harder to get women nowadays and where men back in the day had it a bit easier. We're going to be discussing that. It is ridiculous. It's stupid. And I've seen it had like damn near a million likes on IG. I've seen a couple people that I know like the real. And I got a question for some of y'all. I, they, they, they wasn't like they were my niggas. They wasn't like they were my boys. But I know some of these guys. And I know a little bit how they think. So I'm just like, all right. <laughs> yeah, y'all supporting this. Hey, hey we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. From there, we're going to be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Heat, Jimmy Butler channeling his inner Michael Jordan from there. The Lakers, of course, closing it out against the Grizzlies in an amazing fashion. Then we're going to be discussing One Piece chapter 1082, baby. 1082, my thoughts on Jack Harlow's album. And then we're going to be ending it off with a little preachy service, a little preachy service. I'm going to be preaching at the end of the episodes. I believe I said that last time, but I didn't. So, you know, I, I got a topic saved for that. I got a little topic that we're going to be talking about that. It, it just sort of bothers me that, you know, that sometimes we, I wouldn't say we lie to ourselves, but we do sometimes. We do sometimes lie to ourselves, but we need to be a little bit more genuine with this, this little topic. All right. So to start it off, Kendrick Lamar th- last year, the Big Steppers tour 
ran the world, ran laps around the world. Kendrick Lamar grossed a total of $110 million with 929,000 tickets across 73 different shows. This man, this man, Kendrick Lamar, took five years off of music, five years off of performing. Granted, COVID was a reason a lot of performances didn't happen. To come back bigger than ever, to come back and perform worldwide, giving a hell of a show. And real quick, I went to the Big Steppers tour last year with my boy and my girl. Phenomenal experience, transcending time and reality in itself. Kendrick Lamar is a hell of a performer. As a matter of fact, Kendrick Lamar embarrasses half the industry with the way they be performing their music. Having the numbers that he has, the experience that he has, of course, builds who Kendrick Lamar is. But to still show out time and time again, hey, yo, Aubrey, step up. Yeah, we talked about it. We talked about it previously. But Drake, yo, live performances, hey, you need to get inspired by Kendrick too. Shit, Wayne and Kendrick. And this is just phenomenal to see Kendrick Lamar at this point of his career, someone who I find to be the greatest rapper of all time, being able to have outstanding commercial success, staying true to his own craft, staying true to music that resonates with him, that is a part of him, especially with Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, an album that focuses mainly on Kendrick Lamar's mental health, Kendrick Lamar's growth, family-oriented ideals, and it's monumental, nothing short of incredible. Yo, let's get a round of applause for Kendrick Lamar. Listen, whether you're working, whether you're driving, whether you're cooking, whatever you're doing at this moment, come on, let's clap it up for Kendrick Lamar a bit. Let's clap it up. From there, The weekend and Future, Double Fantasy. I was excited knowing that this was going to be another collab between The weekend, Able, and Future. Now, for those of you that are unaware, this is their fifth collaboration together. The first time they united was on the 2015 single, Drinks On Us, produced by Mike Will Made. From there, in 2016, Future's mixtape, Evil. There was a song on there called Low Life. You might have heard of it. It's an incredible track, which was which featured The Weeknd in there as well. Then, when Future decided to, you know what? Hey, we sound great together. And The weekend's like, yeah, we do sound great together. When The weekend released Starboy, they came back, for all I know. From there, Future decided, I'm going to drop another album in 2017, right after dropping music in 2016. And that's when we got the album Hendrix, his second album he dropped that year, by the way. And his second number one album that year, first one. They, of course, went number one previously. But with that coming out strong, and finally, here we are in 2023 with a new track together. Now, with some of the history here, I, I wanted to mention that because I'm going to be not ranking every single track. I, I just might fuck it. I might just rank every single collaboration they do have together. But to see where this song ranks with ranks in their collaboration so far. But with that, this gives off that after hours with a touch bit of Dawn FM vibes, we definitely get a large buildup in the beginning when we get the instrument instrumentation building up. You start hearing those dreamy synths drive the songs. You start hearing glimpses and pieces of this killer saxophone performance that gradually just takes over the track. Abel's voice swims right through, swims better than Michael Phelps. I'm talking about he's over here just across the ocean through these wavelengths of musical notes. It feels like heaven. It feels like heaven. And then 
Abel, of course, does his part on the song, singing delightfully so. Whenever the instrumental gets stripped back again, we get into Future's part of the song, which I enjoy they strip back the instrumental because Future, I wouldn't say it was a lazy performance or anything, but it didn't have the... Uh, some of the energy I would have enjoyed from Future. It felt a little bit stripped back. So by reducing the instrumental, letting Future's voice be in the forefront and dominate, it gives a, it gives a little bit more emphasis on him. And overall, he, he does a good job where it keeps me engaged. Would have appreciated more life in Double Fantasy, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with what we got. Uh, I'm enjoying this trend. Or I wouldn't say trend, but whenever artists release a radio version of a song, which is usually shorter. That way it could be more enjoyable in the radios playing wherever. And then we got like the OG version of how artistically they designed it. And I enjoy this because there's moments where I listen to the OG version of the track and I'm like, all right, I love the slow buildup. And there's other times I switch, go into the radio version because, you know, I, I don't feel like waiting. I don't feel like waiting to get to the buildup. I want to get to the singing. I'm ready to hear Abel. And as far as the double fantasy with the title going into, of course, The weekend show, The Idol. And honestly, <laughs> The weekend's life being a fantasy to potentially millions. I'm loving the way this is all tying in together. And then Future being a great complement to that as well. Now, one thing that I do want to state here is, hey, out of all these five tracks... Out of these five tracks, which ones do I enjoy the most? Out of these five tracks, which ones, which ones are weak? Which are the strong ones? Which ones am I still bumping? I, I would like to say this. Low Life is easily for me the best future and weekend track. Oh, I'm putting that at the number one spot. Following that, I got to go with Coming Out Strong from Hendrix at the number two spot. Uh, the way Future was able to just steal the show at certain points. When you have the weekend on there, it's the standout track. I mean, same thing. I mean, we could say for low life. Does these two together are phenomenal. Then I'm going to have to choose Double Fantasy. Yes, yes, I know. It's still fresh. There's definitely some recency bias in there. However, I feel this track, I believe this track to be a lot stronger than all I know. Not to say all I know is bad. As a matter of fact, I think it's just all right. I think all I know is just all right. But Double Fantasy, double up. It is doubled up. We got a lot of levels with this. And then, of course, 2015's Drinks On Us. I'm going to be real with y'all. I don't remember it too much. I believe I listened to it like two, three days ago. That way I could sort of get a, like, a little quick memory refresh on it. And I was just like, hmm. Yeah, I, 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 could, see why. <laughs> I could see why this wasn't so strong in my head. Whatever. So with that, that's the top five. Now, going on from here, recently on a million dollars worth of game, we had Envy and Charlemagne join Gilly and Wallow on the podcast episode. And I've recently been watching a little bit more millions dollars worth of game just because there's certain times where I just want something to listen to. That's like a two hours plus and not just seeing their incredible success, but knowing that Willie, uh, Willie, <laughs> Gilly has experience in the music industry, whether we're talking about working for cash money, whether we're talking about allegedly, allegedly ghostwriting for Lil Wayne, Gilly himself being a rapper, and the fact that Wallow's story as well, 
being locked up for as long as he was to be in this position and just everything they got going on. I'm like, let me pay attention a little bit more to million dollar worth of game. Um, I, I don't believe I need to give an introduction to Charlemagne or Envy, but with them two, I don't really look at them and any, and I don't place them in a pedestal when it comes to hip hop conversations. However, they've been able to do what they do for as long as they have. And for that, there's a little bit of waste. So having all four of these parties together, it was interesting. It was interesting to me. Now, one of the comments that got my attention when they were talking about ghostwriters was Charlemagne to start off. And already I was just, when I heard Charlemagne say this, I was just like, all right, Charlemagne doing Charlemagne things, I guess. But to quote it right here, not having ghostwriters has limited hip hop. Quote from Charlemagne on this. Of course, you're going to be hearing the audio in here because we editing audio in the podcast. We're editing the videos on the YouTube. I told y'all, we, we stepped up. We stepping up over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ours, you know, I'm taking that. Though. I, think, I think not having ghostwriters has limited hip-hop. Because mm. think about how big R&B is, right? Or pop. Yeah. Because they have all of these people in a room creating the best song. Rappers need the best okay. song. Let's be for real. And that's just a, that's a strange comment. And my perception of it is there's plenty of ghostwriters in the rap industry. I mean, Gilly, he's a great example. And then you could probably search up a couple more legitimate ghostwriters, not just writers that have helped in the rap industry. Now, I wouldn't say not having ghostwriters has, has limited hip hop because one thing that we appreciate in rap, one thing we appreciate in hip hop, something we love about this genre is when the rappers keep it real or rather when the character of the rapper is presenting this real image this real story we love it we love knowing that this rapper right here really lived this bar and is really rapping it and nobody else is included now this isn't to say that any rappers with ghostwriters they don't make good music but that level of authenticity when a rapper is able to really uphold that, it just makes the music better. It does make the music better. Now, another quote that Charlemagne said in this, of course, is y'all ain't care with Drake. And I don't know who Charlemagne's talking to. Now, I've discussed this extensively on the podcast, dedicated several episodes into Drake's narrative in the rap industry. And the number one narrative that Drake himself wants to prove, wants to push, and wants to hear people speak about is him being not just a great rapper, not just a phenomenal rapper, but being the greatest rapper of all time. Not top five, not top three, not top two. Number one, of course, ever since 2015 with the ghost writing exposure with the reference tracks from Quentin Miller it just, it's been, it's been, it's, he's been trying to play catch up. He, he's been trying to, all right, let me put band-aids over this. Let me, let me up my pen because I got to be the best rapper. As much as Drake drops the hits, dominates the charts, as much as Drake is able to just have this gold touch, the mightiest touch for a lot of his music, the one thing that still eats at him is the fact that his pen gets questioned and he isn't regarded when it comes to the hardcore rap fans. Because honestly, when it comes to the mainstream audience, we, we don't care about them in these rap discussions. When it comes to the rappers, the, the rap fans, Drake 
wants and needs. He needs it. He needs to be in that conversation of the best rappers. So when Charlemagne say y'all ain't care with Drake, they got to be the mainstream audience because anybody that was a fan of rap, myself included, I was like, damn. Now, there's a lot of directions that could go with this as far as reference tracks and as far as like which was what was written, was it flow based, blah, 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 but we're not here for all that. So with Charlemagne saying that, hey, y'all ain't care with Drake, that ain't true. Plenty of people care with Drake, especially Meek Mill. And we all saw how that went. Now, with this, Gillian Wallow will go on to add that people don't care if the song is hot. And also, <laughs> Gillian needed that the girls that suck dick don't care either. <laughs> yeah, Gilly, you got you got you had to you had to make it funny, man. But I would like to say this portion of the conversation goes towards the mainstream audience because again, us rap fans, they don't. Yeah, the song could be hot. I could appreciate an incredibly hot track. I'm talking about it's booming. Everybody listening to it. The clubs is playing it. TikTok going crazy. You listening to it? Your grandparents listening to it? Everybody. Everybody is listening to it. But if it is ghostwritten, it's always going to be like, ah, you know that? Damn. Like, okay. I mean, it's cool. Like whenever I found out that Drake wrote 30 Hours, I still love the track. I could hear Drake. I could hear Drake being the one in charge of the track. But it's like, damn. Like, I already know Kanye got writers, but this one, I, I would have appreciated a little bit more if it was just Ye that wrote it, you know? Y'all, y'all know what I mean? Like, there's just certain tracks that's just like, oh, yeah, it helped. I mean, I still love the track. I still resonate with it, but it would have been a lot cooler if the person who did it did it. You know? And then Walla would go on to add, whose shit is really real and selling hit records? Which plenty of rappers could do. I, I genuinely believe plenty of rappers are able to keep it real, at least as real with their character, and still sell hit records. Now, I would I would actually recommend for y'all to check this episode out just because some of the experience that everybody plays as far as um their careers and where they're at right now, there's a little a, le- a level of credibility to what they have to say and how the people in their position, how they think. And to go on a bit of a side tangent here, whenever it comes to, you know, the way some of these executive things in the music industry, it helps to see why certain artists get pushed, why certain narratives get pushed, why certain things just go behind the scenes or sometimes even in the forefront. And for you, who probably appreciates the music more, like, yo, why y'all think like that? Why do these people think like that? This, this could help out a little bit more. Now, I'm still, I'm still heated. I'm a little bit mad. I haven't been able to stop itching ever since we got a little bit of Pusha T disrespect. And you know, you know, it, it really, really bothers me. Knowing that I, I'm a Drake stand. I'm a Drake stand. So the fact that I'm not even appreciating the Pusha T hate or the fact that Jim Jones really out here trying to say Pusha T, but that nobody want to rally like Pusha T, it's mind boggling. I sort of had to question reality for a second. I'm like, what's going on here? Am I dreaming? So over the past week, of course, Jim Jones was asked about Pusha T. If he's one of the greatest rappers to ever grace a microphone, is he top 50? And then I'll just I'll just get this one quote from Jim Jones. That says, Has he done that puts him in the greatest rappers of all time besides talk about 
that he probably didn't get. <laughs> wow. All, all bias aside. He's no, nice. I, yeah, yeah. He's, he's nice as he can rap his ass. He can rap his ass of what? What has he done? Nobody has dressed like yeah. him. Nobody wants to be like mm-hmm. Pusha T. No, I don't remember nothing. I, mm-hmm. And let's not be evil. But we don't talk about rap where that's popping the wanna and wanna be like. I don't know too many in this game that was leaning towards being like Pusha T. Pusha T don't hold no weight out here. They, not, they told not him, bro. No out here. I would put Big. I would put oh, Big Sean before. Big Sean before push. What has he done that puts him in the greatest rappers of all time talk besides talk about coke that he probably didn't get himself? I don't know about y'all. That's clearly a little Drake bias after Drake brought him out at the Apollo show. But anyways, with that, this statement is, um, if not purposely ignorant, maybe accidentally, maybe he just really does not know Pusha T's discography. Maybe. But by Jim Jones saying this, is 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 clear as day that this man has no idea. No idea, no clue just how nice Pusha T is and relatively a lack of um rap knowledge to say what has he done? What has he done aside from what Pusha T has done with the clips, with the clips, clips, him and his brother. Aside from that, and just even going on to Pusha T solo, because we, you know, we the clip clips plus his solo work, Pusha T has done enough. I would say, me personally, me personally, as someone who's more of a fan of Pusha T's newer stuff, and hell has no fury. Daytona is a ridiculous certified, hard-hitting, ballistic, flaming classic, without a doubt, with seven tracks, punching as many punches as it did. It felt like the whole album was pumped up with cocaine and adrenaline, stuffed in a Maserati, baked in an oven, poured gasoline on top, and just lit on fire. Almost dry. Half produced by Ye, half produced by Pharrell. Was an incredible body of work as well. One of my favorite tracks, Neck and Wrist with Jay-Z dropping a ridiculous feature. We could talk about one of his greatest tracks he's ever dropped, Nostalgia, featuring Kendrick Lamar, dropping a ridiculous verse, verse of the year, verses of all time. And without getting too deep into it, just throughout Pusha, Pusha T's catalog with the clips, post clips. I mean, I'm a, are we gonna forget his? Are we gonna forget Pusha T's verse on Runaway? So appalled. I know me and you are not gonna forget. Hey, some of y'all might even be put on right now. But for somebody like Jim Jones, like you know, in these situations, when these old heads, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with them. It's like the older they get, the less, the less they wanna really educate themselves or refresh their refresh themselves when it comes to hip hop and the rap genre. I've noticed this sometimes. I feel like there's like a certain age where it's just like a stop limit. Boop. All right. No, no more. Everything from this point forward, we're not going to pay attention to, or even beforehand, we're just not really going to respect. We're not going to respect for whatever reason. <laughs> but with that, you could clearly see the Drake narrative. You can see the Drake influence. 
And I, I spoke about this years ago. We're going to go on a bit of a side tangent right now. Bit of a side tangent. Where I mentioned that even though Pusha T ultimately bur- buried, obliterated Aubrey out the face of the universe. Fuck the Adidas deal. Fuck the revelation. Oh, Adidas wearing a Drake State a Nike boy because of this. He even lost points, man. Lost points in his um, overall pretty solid rap beef um, fights <laughs> in his rap beef uh, <laughs> record is that Drake, even though he sla- even though he got slaughtered, he would slowly win the narrative in the long run. I mentioned how it starts off with Drake basically just continuing to be successful. And of course, the masses are going to appreciate him. Him continuously pushing himself to be a better rapper, champagne poetry, a track that I constantly mention and praise being something that pushes Drake to want to be that rapper. But of course, that's how he's going to win the hardcore fans over. Drake has a lot of pull in the industry. There's a lot of Drake influence, whether we're talking about affiliations, whether we're talking about relationships and other background stuff. There's definitely some tension and some certain doors that got closed and opportunities because of this that Pusha T has to deal with. But the main one being time. Time is on Drake's side. And don't get me wrong. It isn't like it isn't like the Pusha T's this is like year after year not getting it. It, it. it isn't like it's losing steam or value. I mean, time and time again, every time it comes to that year anniversary, it's like, damn, <laughs> shit. Damn, we still remember this. This is like a sucker punch to the liver that the, the pain goes away. But that memory, anytime something grazes you there, it's like you get a flashback. Oh, shit. <laughs> damn. Oh, man, I, was, I, I, I got spooked real quick, man. But time is something that is on Drake's side when it comes to this narrative. When it comes to this storyline and when it comes to him ultimately so, slowly coming out on top. Because we're going to see, you know, when we have people like Jim Jones pushing this real quick, like, oh, Pusha T isn't even a top 50. And then you got another narrative of Drake trying to push that he's top top five. You, you see how it's meshing in, how it's mixing and working. But we know. The real ones know. Real ones know. Push a T nice. Push a T nice. And me personally, I don't have him in my top 10. But I could respect somebody that has him in the top 10. Maybe even top 5. I could respect it. But to say Pusha T's not top 50, fucking ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. And with that, we're going into the red pill manosphere where a lot of bum ass men that for whatever reason, they either they haven't received the guidance they needed from their fathers, whether the father didn't have the experience, whether the father wasn't in that life or they haven't surrounded themselves with respectable, reputable males to really, you know, educate one another on how to, you know, truly how to truly maneuver through the dating scenes, how to truly maneuver and interact with females in healthy manners, knowing when to avoid the ones that are, you know, the only fans for life, the ones that need the seven figures, the one that need a vacation 24-7. I don't want to start off saying, man, all these bum-ass niggas, all these bum-ass guys, you know, unfortunately, there is a crowd of men that they just haven't been able to have that foundation set for them. And their own experiences have only given them so much progress. Right? But with this reel, 
with this reel, with this reel. So I believe this is on the whatever platform. I try to search up the entire video that way I could get more context than the reel and audio that I'm about to play for you guys. But of course, after hearing it, it it's just completely it's actually true. A lot of guys are socially awkward. I think I think you're a bit ignorant to like the average guy's experience. Consider this, right? The average guy today, his granddad had to put in a quarter of the work to mm -hmm. get the kind of woman that is four times as amazing as the woman he's attracted. Oh, you're you're talking about hoflation. Yes, it's hoflation. Hoflation. So modern men have to work five times harder than their grandfathers did for women twenty times worse than what their grandmothers were. Yeah, it's true. It's actually. So whenever the girl, it, it, whenever the girl in the beginning attempts to talk about the guys, you know, being, uh, being socially awkward in today's age, the other guy is quick to dismiss, to dismiss it, just the ignorant to the average guy's experience, which a lot of times when it comes to these conversations, whenever it comes to the different dynamics between a male or female dating, the social interactions, we can't dismiss some aspects to prove another so we can't just say you know you can't just dismiss that there are men that are socially awkward right here and then just be like well women are ignorant to the average guy's experience like y'all couldn't understand what we have to deal with today it's like no 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 two two things can exist these two things can exist at the same time it's possible it's realistic it's truthful so this guy him going on this rant about how grandfathers back in the day had to put in a lot less work to earn a better female, a better grandmother than the females right now. And then, of course, throwing these random multipliers like God of War, you know, they had her like five times less work or whatever multiplier he put in there. It's just, um, you know, how, how can I say it in a, in a manner that's easy to digest? He's speaking out of his ass just to just to seem like he knows what he's talking about. Because ain't no way you could just have that conversation so quick and just gloss it over. And then, of course, we have um, his butt buddy on the side talking about some. Yeah, hopeflation. <laughs> you know, I, and I, I guess the definition is having to work harder for modern women and that they're worse than women back then. The hopeflation over the years. And again, I seen aside from like the million damn likes. And me seeing some people in there and I'm like, y'all liking this? It's just, there's like no brain cells spotted at any point of this conversation. No brain cells whatsoever. And this is, you know, I'm discussing this because I want, I want to gain a little bit of steam. I see, I see this mass crowd of men that consistently just put out bullshit that really don't try to legitimately educate males on how to function better whether we're talking about the dating space or just interacting with females, I was like, nah, I need to be the kryptonite. I need to be the kryptonite to this. If these, if these guys can blow up talking bullshit, then let me at least get a little bit of the juice shutting that shit down, right? Right? Just me? Nah, it's not, it's not just me. Y'all banning behind me with this, right? So a couple things that I want to add here is, first of all, whenever it comes to these conversations of wanting traditional roles in traditional roles in 2023, it's a whole different world. The Internet has changed the way we interact with one another forever, for better and for worse. And aside from the Internet, just the world evolving since then. So whenever there's these conversations about, well, 
our granddads had it easier. Women were better back then. And all right, cool. But that's in the past. That's in the past. We're in the present. You cannot use the same metrics, the same teaching, the same styles, all that from the past, put it into 2023 and expect results or even be flabbergasted like, wow, why doesn't it work today? (laughs) And also it doesn't help that a lot of times on these platforms, they don't go out of their way to find like the legitimate, grounded, friendly, reasonable, educated females. They're always trying to bring the hoes. Now, you know, so there, there are times where they attempted, but then they try to tear them down for whatever reason. So this whole thing about, hey, it was just easier for guys back then. And nowadays it's hard. Nowadays, well, nowadays we have situations where, I mean, there's a whole number of reasons. But I think the biggest one is the fact that there's a lot, there's a lot of dismissing. There, there's just, there's this, wave of just trying to pin it on one thing and that's just the females that's it the way females have gotten to this point it's all on them aside from the world changing and also you know men being accountable for their own actions of course this is more of just garbage (laughs) this is just garbage reasoning garbage take and it, it, there isn't even much in here to really add any extra juices, you know, to really steam it up, to really boil it. it it's just overall, if I ever hear somebody say hoflation and try to have a legitimate discussion, get the fuck out. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Yo, these two clowns on this platform, uh, anybody that's familiar with this platform, let me know uh, what the full episode is, but even if I were to get all the context here, I just, I, I can't see this making any, any, any better, making any more sense. And I think another thing too, that we got to understand is that it isn't just about finding a girl that could just, oh, it was easy to bag her. And now I could just live life perfectly. I think anytime you are interacting with somebody who you want to make your partner, it's supposed to be a bit of a challenge. I think that doesn't get embraced enough nowadays. The fact that there's uh, this conversation about, uh, obviously it could be hard. It could be tough. It could even be ridiculous at times with the way the world is right now, but it's not supposed to be easy. And we got to understand that finding a life partner, finding someone that you're going to make the other half of you, the other 100%, the other person you're going to share your livelihood with, it isn't supposed to be easy either. There's supposed to be a lot of trial and errors with it. So this idea that it should just be as simple as it was back in the day to where all a man had to do was just like work and that's it, bare minimum, and then the grandmothers gave the most is extremely, extremely simplified. Because, hey, if we really want to take it to how it was back in the day, when we talk about 50, 60, 70 years. 50, 60, 70 years. I'm not going to sit here and start spewing statistics, spewing numbers. But, you know, hey, back then, when females really didn't have the opportunities that they have now to make their money, get their education, do what they had to do, of course, with this state of the world. Unfortunately, the man had the leverage and he also had all the leverage to be a fucking asshole. 
Yeah, we, we could we could get into that bag real quick. Oh, we talk about the oh, we talk about the old folks that they were assholes, abusers, and all that. We talk about them guys because we could we could go down that narrative. But with that, we're gonna push that to the side. We done with that. Then we're gonna. I, I listen, listen. If you see any of these reels, you see any of this, let's keep talking about it. I got, I got. At some point, I'm gonna make a video on white pearly things, and it's not gonna be so much on me hating on her, or. I wouldn't even say hating on her. She makes it incredibly easy for people to dislike her. <laughs> incredibly easy. But I want to make a video on how she's able to market herself and her brand and her platform smart. Honestly, it's, it's genius the way she's able to do it. And like one of the main foundations, sorry, side tangent here, is the fact that most or 90% of her information just resolves from, resolves, results from other people. Other people's story, their messages, their interviews. It's not really her life experience, which I don't have the exact quote here. But we're living in an age where information is easy to acquire and exchange. But the necessary experience to understand this information is harder to come by. That's one of the biggest things this generation has shown so far, or, you know, that's what so far this time span, especially with, you know, post-internet, post-social media. And it's showing a lot. It's showing. So I'll get into that bag in a bit, but right here, right here, we almost, we, oh, I was about to talk about the basketball, but let's hold on real quick. Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow recently surprised everybody with a brand new album titled Jackman coming in at 10 tracks. There wasn't much promo. There was just an Instagram post of, hey, I got an album dropping and we got a, you know, a sort of a cover, not mundane cover, but pretty minimal cover, a Jack Harlow, no shirt, sort of going back to some of his previous album covers before that's what they all say, I believe. So this felt already based on the cover art. It was going to be a bit of a nostalgic trip. It's going to go a little bit back to his roots. And I'm happy to say it definitely went back to his roots. This is a very bar heavy, reflective, conscious album from Jack Harlow in comparison to Come Home, The Kids Miss You. We get no features on here. As a matter of fact, I believe the album with 10 tracks is 26 minutes. It's a quick experience that sort of summarizes or recap Jack Harlow over the past year and some change ever since the Come Home, The Kids Miss You. Jack Harlow, of course, having to grind it out, consistently work on his craft to get into the position that he is is facing all the challenges and the downsides someone usually would with the fame, the money, and, you know, the camaraderie, the support that everybody have for your come up is now flipped on the opposite end of, oh, nah, nah he ain't that nice. Nah, he's signed by a major label. Oh, he's white. That's why he's cool. Certain topics that get addressed in the album itself. And I really love this approach from Jack Harlow, reminding everybody that, hey, regardless of how you felt about Come Home, The Kids Miss You, Jack Harlow is a great rapper, something that I reiterate and I repeat on this platform as much as possible because, hey, Jack Harlow is nice. All right. Don't get it twisted. Jack Harlow is nice. I'm not going to and I'm not going to take it from anybody trying to tell me that Jack Harlow ain't a dope rapper. Stop it. Stop it. But with that, um, starting off with Common Ground, being able to just establish a quick intro and we get some pretty dreamlike 
instrumentals on here that feel luscious, expensive, and really sort of sets this mood of, you know, being in a reflective like state. Now, going into tracks like Is That I? Is that I? Is that right? Is I, can I say it right? Sorry, I, I know I'm being too extra right now. Where Jack Harlow himself is just, um, hey, everything I do is all right with y'all. Like, you know, he's going to continue to be the way he is. And, you know, uh, uh, for me, a track that impressed me, Gang, 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 where he speaks about, you know, even though he's caught up by the fame and doing his own career, whenever it comes back to find out about other people, he used to have relationships, going back to figure out what's going on in their life, finding out that their life is spinning for the worse. Whether we have um, somebody that's close to Jack Harlow is like, oh yeah, that man ended up being a rapist. That man ended up being a pedophile. And then going on with a hook that sort of um, is uh, not hypocritical, but it's on the complete opposite end of that, where Jack Harlow is finding out these things about these people. It's like him, him. What now? Nah, that can't be the guy we know. And then going into the hook where it's like he's writing for his boys for everything. And then just having the juxtaposition between these two dynamics within this track was a breath of fresh air. And uh, it's somebody in his position, because at times we can't find rappers. Hey, their dog could be a piece of shit, but they still going to ride with them because they his dog. He got like 30 rape accusations. But for whatever reason, that's your homie. It'll make sense. But to see Jack Harlow tackle that kind of theme in his album was great to see. Now, overall, I've only gotten about three or four listens on here. I want to give it more to give you guys a more robust review. But Jack Harlow tackling, you know, some of the criticism and he himself tackling the criticism with himself. Being like, why am I, you know, why is it weighing so much now? Why am I being more concerned about it? Uh, the lack of time he is spending with family and friends and sort of feeling out of reach and, you know, getting some of this on questions and blame on me are topics and themes that I really appreciate listening to, especially when the songs sound incredible. When it comes to the hook on here, one thing that I love about Jack Harlow when it comes to his hooks, when it comes to the chorus is whenever he's able to go in these pockets of with his tone where he changes the pitch is a little bit softer, you know, going for like that pretty boy vibe, giving that Drake dynamic. And when he lets the instrumentals vocals be like a like another chorus or a pre-chorus adds a nice layer of depth. It gives it a great replayability, it gives these tracks great replayability at times, being able to see the layers when it layers onions, Shrek, right? Okay, maybe maybe it isn't maybe it isn't that deep. Nah, it's pretty deep, but um, smooth instrumental, smooth experience overall. And I would like to do a deep dive into the narrative so far with Jack Harlow, his character, and what he's going through with this. Now, we talk about the NBA, baby. We talk about the NBA. We're gonna be talking about the living legend, the modern Michael Jordan, Jimmy Butler, and the Heat beating the Bucks. Now, nobody expected in the beginning of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks to not only lose to uh, any seventh or eighth seed, but to the Miami Heat. Now, prior to the playoffs, the Heat have been shooting like hot garbage. They haven't been the best version of themselves. And aside from their, you know, the players themselves not performing as great as they could be, I do believe that the regular season with the pacing that it has and the sort of AAU style elements we could see at times plays goes against the Miami Heat. Because when it comes time for the game to slow down, for there to be a half-court set, 
and Eric Spolstra is able to have a bigger impact with his coaching, the heat start turning up. They start heating up. They start heating up. I'm going to say it for what it is. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, incredible, incredible team. Giannis, phenomenal player, generational talent. Giannis is a generational talent. They and Coach Mike, they didn't anticipate the heat to come into the playoffs shooting red hot. Shooting as great as they did. So, when it came time for the Bucks and the Heat to finally match up, one thing we got to get out the way is, all right, we understand Giannis got hurt with the bag. That definitely helped the Heat. But they underestimated the Heat. So whenever it comes times to these analytic, analytical-driven pieces of information, one thing that I would like to believe that Mike looked at when he saw the Heat is like, hey, they suck at the three-point line and the mid-range is the least efficient shot in basketball. Let's sag off. Throughout the entire series, they were sagging off the Heat players. When it came to pick and roll actions, they weren't, clo- they weren't closing or sticking close to the guys as tightly as they should have. Them three-point shots barely were being defended. Damn near the mid-range was, was also pretty bad for the Bucks. They, they sort of wanted to play like, all right, listen, throughout, throughout their regular season, they were bad shooters. We know they, dri- they thrive in the paint with Bam. We're going to close that out. But you messing with the Heat in the playoffs. So, all, you know, they're going to they're gonna shoot lights out, by the way. The Miami Heat shot lights out. Legendary. But the key factor here, the number one reason the Heat were able to just completely bombard the Bucks with Giannis back. It's because Jimmy Butler is him. He's that guy. He is a legendary legend at this moment. At this moment, Jimmy Butler averaged 37.6.6 rebounds, 4.8 assists. Field goal, 59%. True shooting, I believe, was over 70%. This man was a monster. And what he was able to notice is not only are the Bucks sagging off, not only are the Bucks not respecting their shots, not only are they not adjusting, not only are they treating these pick and rolls seriously. But the fact that Jimmy Butler is able to get in his bag of being a great finisher around the rim, a great post-up player, having phenomenal footwork, and being able to have the eyes to look for his teammates was able to just ignite the entire team to be a force to be reckoned with. And nobody expected. Maybe except for Jimmy and the Heat. I, I wait, but most of us, for most part, I was like, hey, Bucks, when Giannis come back, it's a done deal. Adjustments were made. The Heat were able to take advantage from that. And everybody was shooting lights out. I believe Duncan Robinson, 75% throughout the entire series. We had Kevin Love going, I believe, like five for five at some point throughout the series. Jimmy Butler, two, you know, back-to-back threes in crucial moments, dunking, putbacks, leaving it all on the court. And I want to emphasize the fact that the Heat were able to take advantage of the Bucks. Because I'm not appreciating this narrative of, hey, the Bucks, they just, they were, aside from the Giannis injury. Oh, the Bucks, they, it was a complete meltdown. That's the only reason. If, well, no, no, we got to give some respect to the Heat for doing what they do best. Let's give some respect to them. So I'm excited. This was like a complete wild card outlier. 
Heat and Knicks. It's going to be a gritty series. Best believe that. Going on from here, the Lakers recently secured a vital, pivotal win over the Memphis Grizzlies. And by a secured a vital win, they beat them, baby. They beat them. Good in the West? I don't know about that. Dylan, Dylan Brooks? Listen. Uh, like I said it before, I would just like him to own up to his things. But Dylan Brooks, he, he was able to spark something for the Lakers. And that isn't a good thing. It should have been for himself. It should have been for his team. But he was able to spark up the Lakers, the narrative and everything. And it didn't play out the best for him. It didn't play out the best. Uh, but with that, the Lakers were able to close it out with the Grizzlies. beating them by like 20 plus points. Anthony Davis showing out. The Lakers, they ride and die with Anthony Davis. When Anthony Davis is phenomenal on both ends of the court, it, it's, it's almost a secured win. Almost a secured win. A generational talent when it comes to the length, the defensive IQ, the mobility, the shot, the shot, the shot making, you know, it, it could be a little bit more desirable. But on the defensive end, in the paint, and his presence, the Lakers ride and die with him. And it is great that the Lakers got revamped to have as many shooters as they do. As many, not just shooters, but a bit of creators. The ones that they able, they able to shoot where they need to shoot. They don't need to rely on LeBron facilitating everything, which is also amazing to see LeBron at 38 years old taking a step back to allow Anthony Davis to be that leader. LeBron being that extra taking that extra step to not only be a facilitator, but to be a great off-ball player. Something someone like Curry is able to show phenomenally. And for LeBron James, I'm happy he's taking this route because overall it makes the team better. And he's able to save energy for the defensive end and those crucial fourth quarters. Because we can't expect LeBron James at 38 to be going out all out from start to finish. So the off-ball game, the off-ball movement LeBron has been displaying has been nothing short of nothing short of great. Now, of course, the supporting cast, D'Angelo Russell, Reeves, so on and so forth. They were able to show up when it was needed. And one thing that hasn't been getting discussed enough is the chemistry that's being built. This team probably has, what, I think at two months in total together, two months in total. So two months. So the fact that they're getting this chemistry in the playoffs is good for team morale, is good for plays, is good for consistency, and is good for experience. And you know them clutch moments. I like. All right, we already got one round down. This is all of us together here. Let's keep it going. Now it is also important to note that some of the adjustments that were made in this recent game was, of course, having Anthony Davis come out high, higher off his green and to blitz and drag Desmond Bain out of 40 feet on some of those live dribbles. And, of course, making sure that Austin Reeves wasn't just, like, sort of left alone and, you know, those awkward moments where they give Austin Reeves the ball and they sort of all sag off and just expect him to. You know, he, he could knock down the shots. He could playmake a little bit. But let's get a little bit more ball movement. D'Angelo Russell having a crazy performance. 31 points. Was also great to see. And, again, going back to the chemistry and the consistency, if D'Angelo Russell continues to get hot and warmed up, listen. It's looking dangerous for the league. I still got my Warriors winning the finals, but it's looking dangerous for the league. Now, with that, I just want to say One Piece, chapter 1082, 
uh, has flesh buggy out way more than any of us have expected in the best way imaginable. Somebody who started off as serious in the East Blue, like he was a serious foe, a bit goofy still, a bit of a gag, but, you know, having moments where there is a legitimate strength to him. And it's one of the greatest powers in a One Piece universe that Luffy has, and that is the power to create allies. Even Buggy's presence in the series, for somebody that doesn't know Buggy, like, yo, he was on Roger's ship. He over here talking to he over here talking to Shanks crazy. He's like in every almost pivotal moment. Yo, that this guy he escaped the impel down. He was one of those guys. <laughs> but with here, the effects of Cross Guild on the New World, I love how they're having an impact. It isn't like, hey, we got a random crew of pirates. Not random, but yeah, yeah, random. We got a crew of pirates here just to have like another big bad roaming the seas. No. Cross Guild is having a negative impact around the world for the Marines. Ever since they set the bounties out, it has this new element of, oh, now y'all getting hunted too. We don't care. We don't care about the Marines no more. We're chasing them. T-Bone, Vice Admiral, was murdered. And it sent shockwaves for the Marines. Y'all, y'all being eaten alive. Y'all being chased down. And what makes it worse is that he was apparently murdered by like a commoner, a regular citizen. A regular citizen, which this is starting to become dangerous for the Marines because you're supposed to protect these people. But if they could potentially kill you, backstab you, there's a lot of tension. There's going to be a lot of paranoia, a lot of questionable moments and leadership for the Marines themselves. Is this going to lead up to a coup? Potentially. Potentially. But Cross Guild's present and effectiveness in the story has been a pleasant surprise, and I am beyond excited at how pivotal they are to the end game of One Piece. Now, Buggy's character development, where it's hilarious because Buggy's crew, they revamped the ship, and it's just like all based on Buggy, Mihawk, and Crocodile, like beating him. They're like, yo, what's wrong with your crew? What's wrong with you trying to make yourself as like the big bad? And then Buggy, you know, just sort of had enough. Sort of had enough of the way they were handling things. He had enough game beat. He had enough of their minuscule ambitions and goals and said, hey, we need to think bigger. We need to step up. You're Mihawk, right? You're a crocodile, right? Former warlord, greatest swordsman in the world. It's time to go for the, the big thing. The, what's the series about? The One Piece. And Buggy was able to give a hell of a speech to his crew about the One Piece. And he was able to show that as much as Buggy could be a bit of a gag, as much as he could be a bit of a bit of a coward at times, is that his experience with Roger and Shanks was legitimate and serious when it comes to the piracy, when it comes to the adventure, the journey. It's something that he took pride in. Even seeing Shanks as to be someone who would be the successor of Roger, someone he respects and admires and who he believed to lead, to lead and find the one piece. So for Buggy to, you know, to give us this exposition, to go forward and acknowledging that, hey, we made it this far. We need to think bigger. And that's something about Buggy. Buggy has never played small. Buggy has always done what he needed to do to be bigger. Think bigger. And I'm loving the dynamic and relationship between Buggy and Shanks. 
you know, getting that more fleshed out to where I, me, myself, I saw them as legitimate friends, but this just doubled down on that. And now we got all oh, parties going for the One Piece. This is going to be a crazy battle royale free for all One Piece chapter 1082. Amazing. Amazing chapter. Now with this, I want to finish it off with, I'm going to preach a little bit. I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with the quote, only God can judge and we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge other people. We shouldn't judge blah, 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 blah. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what could happen. But the truth is, the reality is we all judge and judging is a natural thing in our lives. All right. We get this. There's this narrative that, you know, judging is extremely negative, but judging is what allows us to be able to find out, all right, is that person someone I would like to know more about? Is that someone I would like to be surround, you know, surround myself with? Is that somebody that I should watch out for? And I'm not talking about like the, uh, you know, um, you know, because at times you, you judge someone based on their appearance, how they speak. And at times you might judge a little bit more all oh, their actions, how they're talking. It probably means they're like this, this, this. And I'm here to let you know that it's okay not to run with this. I can't judge. That's bad. I'm not being a good person. I need to do better. No, 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 no. It's important to be able to judge people, but not be an asshole. Don't be that one person that judges someone and then goes on to talk to like five other people about all these negative things. Uh, about, wow, look at this guy, blah, blah. And you just keep on gossiping and talking and talking. Don't be that person. Don't be the gossiper when it comes to this judging situation. But for example, if I'm with someone that smells like ass, I'm going to judge them. Now, some of the criticism or some of the input could be like, hey, you don't know what they're going through. You know what's going on. And you're right. You know, there could be a very fucked up situation that they're not able to really overcome at that moment. But, but that lets me know a couple things. But uh, this guy smells like ass. I'm already thinking, does he not shower? Or this girl doesn't smell like ass. Like, what's going on here? No deodorant, whatever the case is. It's already something being built. Like, I want to be close to this person. For my own personal sake, for my own nose and my own nostrils, for example, I'm going to do what's best for me in my own selfish way. I'm going to sin and say, uh, I'm going to stay away from this person. And it's important. It's important to, you know, embrace that part of yourself. Now, it'll be different if I'm judging this person for the way they smell and I'm looking how they talk and dress and trying to, I'm trying to, you know, have this profile, this mental profile of them in my brain to be like, all right, let me, let me assert, let me save this character. All right, now I know how this person is. We'll see how continuous interactions and changes adds to them. And then I decide how, how this, I want to interact or avoid them. And that's completely different from me. She smells like ass. She's probably a shitty person. She's probably the scum of the earth. He's probably the scum of the earth. Let me tell everybody else. That's whenever, all right, now you're judging in a way where it isn't even for information, for not, you're not judging to help yourself out. And I think that's the end point. I think that's the final nail on the head here. It is important for us as humans to judge others to better understand what's best for ourselves. Because in this life, 
of course, first impressions. Maybe you thought you knew somebody. It could be a complete 180 once you know more information. But it's only natural for us to try to get as much information as possible for we could continue to thrive. And with that, don't beat yourself up for judging people. Don't try to tell yourself only God can judge. Because we all judge. And at times, it's necessary. At times, we could definitely judge too much, especially if it's detrimental to our own actions or isn't trying to help us out in any way. Vivid Nectar Podcast, episode 274. Alexander Roman here. Y'all know how we doing it. Y'all know how we doing it. Let me know how y'all appreciated the episode. Instagram, Vivid Nectar. Patreon, Vivid Nectar. YouTube, for those of you that enjoy the visuals, I'm pumping out the episodes. I'm chopping them up. That way you have visuals for any of your favorite segments. So I just want to say thank you for tuning in this much. The songs, of course, y'all know how we're doing it. We're being consistent with it. The quality, the audio, let me know what it is. This episode, Monday morning, we starting the week off right. I'll be seeing you on Thursday, 9 a.m. Eastern time, right? Right? Thank you. I appreciate y'all. I'm out.